All right. Good morning. Welcome to Middle Tech's Friday update. Hope everyone is having a good kind of rainy Friday morning. If you're here in Lexington, uh, we're excited to come to you live today. And we've got some good stories, uh, a little bit around some real estate dealings with Zillow and Open Door Partnering, uh, as well as a uh, uh, court decision about social media censoring controversy. So we're going to dive into those stories. We'll get Evan on here first. And then we also want to talk a little bit about uh, everything that's been going on in Eastern Kentucky with all the flooding. So we put together some resources for that and are working with some people from the state to try and get some information out and try and raise some additional funds. So we'll be talking a little bit about that too. While we're waiting on Evan, we'll go ahead and uh, talk about this week in tech history. So this week in tech history, the first man to drive on the moon did so July 31st, 1971. I drove the lunar rover up on the moon, which I thought was pretty cool. Before we start, while we're waiting on Evan, I'll just go ahead and uh, read the sponsors that we have for this Friday update. Um, so we just want to always give a shout out to the sponsors that make it possible for us to do what we do. Um, so first of which is Um So that's who's given us a lot of information about uh, the flooding and the different resources that are available to those affected by the flood. So always a big thank you to KY Innovation for the support that they provide us and the entrepreneurial community. Um, we've also got Bolt Marketing and our friend uh, Chase Fairchild. Uh, Bolt built our entire website. They've been a great sponsor of ours, great supporter. Uh, and then we've also got Render Capital, uh, who Evan's worked directly with, and they provided us a good amount of support too. Good morning, Evan. Thanks for joining. Good morning. Did you have some trouble, buddy? Yeah, the button to request to join was not work. It seems like that's, some, for some reason, Instagram does that just about every Friday, it feels like, but glad to have you here. I got some good topics this week. Yeah. this one. Yeah, me too. Um, we actually spent a good amount of time putting some notes down and researching. So hopefully we'll be able to have a good discussion. Um, before we dive into those though, I had just a couple of things that, uh, I wanted to touch on here at the top. Uh, so the first of which is just this flooding that's going on in Eastern Kentucky, obviously some very devastating stuff. The pictures that are coming out of it are, are pretty horrific. Um, so we just want to try and spread some resources, spread some information about it, places where people can donate places where people can get help. Uh, so how we're doing that, um, as I mentioned, we're sponsored by KY Innovation, which is uh, a part of the state, uh, state of Kentucky. They passed along some great resources to us. So I went and put all of those resources into a very easy to share doc. Um, and we're linking that in our bio. Um, we'll also be sharing that in a couple different ways. So if you want to get involved with helping, uh, if you're, uh, you know, somebody that's been affected by the flood, or even if you're a small business, there's some resources in there for small businesses to either help with recovery. Uh, or help and go and be part of the recovery effort. Uh, so check that out if if you are one of the people that's been affected by the flood. Uh, and then this this last one, Evan, I just wanted to touch on, you know, how we want to do these Friday updates and just like call it out explicitly. So one of the stories that we got is from a friend of ours, Joseph Profantic. Uh, and I, I wanted to bring that up just because if anybody who follows us ever has a story that they come across that they think is interesting, send it over to us and we'll consider it to be featured on the Friday update. But we want this to be kind of an engaging uh, live stream in which people come on and ask questions and hear our thoughts on different articles and different happenings around the world. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that at the top as well. Um, all right, do you want to kick us off by talking about this new Zillow and Open Door partnership? And let's, let's dive into it. Yeah, for sure. So um, the real estate industry over the last several years um, has really changed very rapidly. Uh, you've had the entrance of new technology, mainly iBind, power buying. Um, those are the two big ones. And so what those 
basically are allowing is consumers to put offers down on homes or receive an offer uh, in cash. And so cash is now becoming something that is thrown around way more in the real estate mm-hmm. industry. And so what it allows is a lot more flexibility and a lot more power for the consumer to either get an offer in cash and quickly close or to put an offer down in cash themselves, even though they might not have the cash uh, so they can buy a home before having to sell their current home. So they have somewhere to live in that interim. Cause one of the problems with real estate is you have to sell your current home before you buy your next home. But with cash now being fluid in the market, you can buy your next home without selling your current home. So these new technologies have led to a lot of innovation space. And iBuying is when, is one of those that I just mentioned, which is uh, of companies like Open Door and Zillow will put down an offer on a home in cash so that they can close quickly mm-hmm. and just basically buy it off of a consumer without having that consumer go through the traditional process. And so uh, Open Door has been one of the largest players in that space. They originated that business model and Zillow tried it as well. And Zillow greatly failed at it. They lost about $1.5 billion to try to do it. Um, it's very hard. Uh, and it's going against like the traditional real estate industry of selling or buying with a real estate agent. And so far, nobody's able to displace that. Well, after Zillow failed at that attempt, they now par- partnered with Open Door to try it again. And so basically what it's going to look like is when you're in Zillow, uh, there'll be a button there we can click to receive an open door offer mm-hmm. and then open door will give you a cash offer on your home, um, right there. And then, and then you'll talk to a representative to see if that's actually something you want to do, or if you want to list your home on the open market. <laughs> so um, that's what's happened. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, um, but it's a pretty big move. Yeah. Well, let's also touch on what just happened with open door, because it's kind of interesting timing that this partnership was announced when it was, uh, you had just sent me an article two days ago, maybe about a fine uh, that Open Door received from, was it uh, the, the F- FTC? Yeah, yeah. So go over what that fine was, why they got it with it. Uh, and then I think that'll lead this into a, a deeper discussion about, you know, the dynamics of this iBuying practice. Yeah, so the FTC, which is a section of the government that really hones in on technology and communication between consumers and private entities as a technology space. Um, they slapped a $62 million fine on Open Door for misleading consumers. Yeah. And they claim that Open Door is telling consumers that they'll save money by selling their home to Open Door, but that's actually not the case. In all cases, um, they're actually selling the house for less because Open Door has to basically buy the home for less than what it's worth in order to make money for the business model. Um, but they were telling consumers that they would save money selling their home to them. And that just isn't the case. It's, it's false. So it's false advertising, open door admitted to it. It's open door mm-hmm. admitting to wronging consumers and misleading consumers. Wow. And it's just weird timing how right after they admitted by paying that fine, uh, that Zillow wants to partner with them. I'm yeah. sure the Zillow partnership has been in place ever since, uh, Zillow failed doing it themselves. Uh, but it's just interesting timing and really, you know, I think the deeper point here is that it's yet to be proven that eyeballing is a sustainable and profitable business model, but more importantly, uh, whether or not it's actually good for the industry and good for consumers. Yeah. Um, and, and in my opinion, uh, it's really bad for the industry and it's bad for consumers. Yeah. That's really interesting. And one of the other things that, that, uh, I hear you talk about, and I, I've been seeing it a lot more or a lot more attention around it, it's what you just made a weekend thoughts about, 
And that's this, uh, you know, what, what we're hearing about firms like BlackRock and these other investment funds buying single family homes. So when we're thinking about iBuying and we're thinking about open door buying these, uh, buying these homes, are these large investment funds oftentimes the people who are buying some sort of percentage of the homes that they, they buy? And is that contributing to this whole problem of, of taking single family homes away from the Americans that, you know, are building their wealth typically with those single family homes? Yeah. So these, uh, companies that are doing this, I buy it's open door, for instance, um, they're funded by the institutional banks and the institutional private equity funds that give them the cash to go buy up these homes. And what you're starting to see is when open door buys a home from a consumer, they're then going and selling a good portion of those to institutional buyers, institutional yeah. investors and taking them off the market for inventory for normal everyday people to buy. And so there's a story of, uh, there's a market in Georgia, I forget the name of the city, but open door bought 100 homes in that market. Uh, it's, a, it's just a neighborhood, essentially. And 70 of them went to institutional buyers. So 70% of the homes that open door bought in that zip code went to institutional buyers that were not relisting them on the market. They were putting them up for rent. And so they're taking inventory off the market and away from consumers, um, which, which is something that uh, I, I just think needs to be um, regulated and it needs to be stopped immediately. Yeah, I think it's a really important topic to touch on. And for anyone who's listening to this, who wants to dive in a little bit deeper to what we're talking about here, Evan released a great weekend thoughts. I guess that was just this past weekend uh, about this whole dynamic, what's going on. So definitely encourage you to listen to that. It's gonna, if it continues, it's gonna cause a massive imbalance of wealth in America. Uh, it's a it's a pretty big problem and Evan's uh, building a company right in the middle of the space. So pays a lot of attention to it. Would highly recommend checking that out. Um, anything else you wanna add to that or are we good to move on to this next story? Um, the way I would just summarize what's trying to, what, what people are trying to do in real estate is they're trying to make buying or selling home feel like an e-commerce experience, mm -hmm. like one click. It's just really fancy. You have cod share service. Um, it's just not, hasn't been proven possible. You know, I think that selling a home is a really big moment in somebody's life and they don't want to necessarily have that feel like an e-commerce experience. And it really only works with a very small percentage of the market if it is possible. Yep. Um, so I, I think the, to summarize what these tech companies are trying to do, they're trying to essentially make it easy for you to log on to a website, get an instant offer on your home, you sell your home, and then they help you find your next home. And um, it's just yet to be proven if that's if that's possible. So, so that's what's happening. And I don't think it's good for the industry or the consumer. Yeah. I mean, I know for me, I would never buy a home online. I'm going to have a somebody that's an agent in the market I'm buying take me through and tell me about the area and tell me about the home. And, uh, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about it. Empowering real estate agents, I think is important, which is, is kind of what you're, what you're working on full time right now. Um, all right, let's move on to this next story. And that is, uh, uh a two sentence ruling by the Supreme court of the United States that, uh, has to do with censorship and social media. So this is the article that our friend Joseph sent us. Uh, so Joseph is, he just graduated, uh, from UK law school. Uh, uh, just took his bar exam. So he's definitely knows a thing or two about what's going on in the legal world. Um, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to go through some of kind of the highlights on this. So we've heard about all of this, uh, censorship controversy with social media companies. We have people, uh, saying that, you know, social media companies are censoring more conservative viewpoints than they are, uh, on the opposite. Um, so in Texas, uh, house bill 20, as it's called was introduced to allow uh, citizens of Texas to sue social media companies 
if they felt that they were being uh, using unfair censorship practices or prohibited censorship activities. Um, so essentially this House Bill 20 got blocked. It's still blocked. Um, a lot has been going on with the big social media companies trying to ensure that it does get blocked. Um, and now, now what, the, what position it's kind of putting things into, uh, is that it's, it's basically gearing up to where the Supreme Court of the United States is going to have to weigh in on what kind of censorship can happen, uh, on social media. So just to dive in a little bit deeper to this house bill 20, which is this Texas bill, uh, that allows, uh, people in Texas to, uh, to take legal action over this. Uh, so the proponents say the law's restrictions are necessary to combat a dangerous movement by social media companies to silence conservative viewpoints and ideas, uh, and to protect individuals, free speech rights and abuse on social media. On the opposite side, uh, the opponents have described it as a constitutional train wreck. Uh, they've warned that the law would force social media companies to host hate speech and extremism on their platforms. Uh, and they call it a clear violation of the private company's first amendment rights. Uh, and I think it's important to remember here, most of these massive social media companies have, you know, upwards of 50 million or more users, depending on the company you're talking about. Uh, so they're saying it's impossible to even comply with a lot of what's in this bill. Uh, a lot of what's in the bill is, you know, requirements that social media companies provide an appeal process for any content that's removed, uh, a full transparency report of any action they took on removing content and things like that. Uh, so I really just wanted to use this to open up a conversation about this whole idea of censorship on social media, because it sounds like the Supreme Court, according to this article, uh, and I'll share, I'll link this article in the show notes, uh, when we publish it on the podcast, it's, it sounds like it's moving towards it. Uh, so we might be having uh, a pretty huge, uh, pretty huge ruling from the Supreme Court on this topic, uh, which will determine, you know, where social media uh, goes. I think it, it'll be that big of a decision here into the next, here into the future. Uh, so Evan, why don't you give your your thoughts just in general on on the censorship stuff on social media, and we'll kind of dive into the different dynamics of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for most of this. Um, as I've been saying all along. You know, I, I think social media companies have to be completely transparent with every single thing they take down from the internet and explain why. And if they don't do that, I'm not okay with it. They, they have to tell everybody what they're taking down and there has to be an audit trail of every single thing and why. If they don't do that, then that's not good for America whatsoever. And so I'm all for like trying to create these policies that create more transparency and hold them more accountable. I don't think why, I don't know why it would ever be controversial to allow a consumer to appeal a judgment from a social media company that kicks them offline. Mm -hmm. like, it should be illegal, completely illegal for a social media company to kick somebody off their platform without there being an appeals process. I don't understand why that's even controversial. It's not. Um, so I'm, I'm for some of these things. I mean, I do agree that, um, being able to take, you know, social media company to court over some of this stuff is not scalable. Um, given how many people there are on social media, uh, but you know, I'm, as I said all along, um, I think number one, there has to be very transparent processes in place. There has to be a complete open source audit trail, and then we have to get rid of bots. I mean, one of the biggest problems with bots, um, is that if somebody does some, say something that's, that's misinformation, then bots can make it get you know, wider audience, yeah. basically, um, manipulate the algorithm in order to promote that, that misinformation. And so like one of the two places to start in my opinion, and this is what Elon Musk would try to do is get rid of bots and create an open source audit trail of everything that's been taken down from the internet and explain why. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think, uh, Brandon's bringing up a lot of good points in our comments here. Um, you know, it's, I think you, you hit it there. It's more so making sure that there's not rampant misinformation spreading on these platforms. It's not necessarily these social media companies are going directly after conservative viewpoints. I do think there's been instances where you can find that conservative viewpoints have been taken down, even though they were not considered misinformation. So I don't want to just ignore that that's not happening altogether. Um, but another thing Brandon has said here is this, this is the argument that these platforms should be turned into public airways, which is kind of what we're moving towards. I mean, when you think of how social media influences human communication in today's day and age, it's really hard to make an argument that they should be allowed to remain private and be making all these decisions. So kind of my take on this whole thing is I personally do not want the power of that censorship centralized in big tech companies. I just inherently think that's un-American in a way to just allow them to be able to, it gives them the power to push their own agenda if they write it into their terms on what they can remove, what they can't remove. I just think that's inherently un-American to allow that power to be centralized um, in a privately controlled company. But that being said, a lack of censorship is, a, is just a disaster. Um, so it's a really complex topic and it's not one where it's like, oh, we fall on this side or that side. It's more so like, oh shit, we've walked ourselves into kind of a wild situation with social media. Uh, and now this article is calling it out directly and saying the Supreme Court of the United States is probably going to have to step up with a ruling on how we handle uh, censorship on social media platforms. And I mean, we've already had some crazy rulings from the Supreme Court here over the past uh, year or so. So this could just add to that list of being a really, really huge decision from the Supreme Court in terms of how uh, censorship is handled online. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for you know, private companies um, and capitalism, but in this case, like we just need more government oversight on the freedom of speech. Uh, I don't, I don't know why anybody would want to go more towards regulating or allowing these companies to censor. Like, you know, I don't understand the mindset of somebody saying, I want more censorship. I want more censorship. Like, I think there should be healthy censorship, but I don't know why people want to keep pushing the limits of mm -hmm. what should be censored. Like, it, it's just like, if there's bullying taking place, like don't, don't allow to get a larger audience. Like bullying is just part of America. Like bullying is just part of humans, like talking to each other in mean ways. Like you can't like stop that. Yeah, I read that. It happens in schools. No. Like you could try to dampen it, but you don't allow it to get a larger audience. Like I, I just, it really makes me uncomfortable when people start to really try to push the limits of what is allowed to be censored. Yeah, I mean, when you say we gotta just, we gotta figure out ways to make less censorship, not more in my opinion. Yeah, and I agree with what you're saying that like, human nature is always going to produce stuff like that. It's just, so, and, and you kind of said there, you said dampen it. That's censorship in a way. Uh, well, so anti-censorship. Yeah. And I know you're high. I know you're not. It's just like, what, where's the line? And I think that's what, that's what the Supreme Court's essentially going to have to make a ruling on. And I don't know how in the world <laughs> our Supreme Court in the United States, who probably does not understand all the different dynamics that go on this, inherently understand it. Maybe I'm making an unfair assumption in saying that, but I, I just don't know. I just think it's such a complex the, topic. The thing that's created the problem is the algorithms. The algorithms basically yeah. make things like controversial statements, misinformation, and bullying. Yeah. They push that content. They do. So it's not, it's not the fact that bullying and misinformation is taking place that's wrong. You cannot stop that. It's impossible. So you can't just censor that 
Right. But what you, what you got to do is figure out how to dig in these algorithms and keep it from getting pushed more larger audiences. So I don't think necessarily we need to figure out how to send some more people. We need to figure out how to create an algorithm that doesn't push content that's inappropriate or misinformation. Yeah. I just did a quick Google search when you said that, cause it made me think of a stat that I heard. Um, so fake news travels six times faster on Twitter than truthful news. Um, that's from pbs.org from a study released on fake news. I think that's, I think obviously I think that's true. Um, typically fake news, it's, it's almost like manufactured to be more engaging and to get you to click on the headline. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense that that that's the case and that's what's happening. Um, but I think that it's, it's almost, it's now becoming a responsibility of the people using the platforms to take a second, stop, try and ask yourself, like, you know, could this potentially be fake news and do, do a Google search? It sucks that we have to do that, but that's the age that we're in. And until a better solution is proposed on these social media platforms, you have to understand how rampant misinformation is and how quickly it can spread. Um, but anyway, I think that's kind of a good way to, to wrap this conversation up. Do you have anything else you want to add to that? Uh, nope. Can't think of anything. Cool. All right. Well, let's go over some of the stuff coming out, uh, for weekend thoughts. And I wish Nate was here cause I'm not exactly sure what weekend thoughts we have coming out tomorrow. So give me just a second to look around and see if I can find anything. Ah, here we go. The impacts of NIL in college athletics. So TJ did our Probably thoughts. Yeah, yeah, it's TJ. Yeah, so if you want to if you want to hear about the impacts of uh, name, image, likeness in college athletics, TJ's right in the middle of that, um, doing both social media uh, and helping influencers and stuff like that, but also deeply into sports, having worked at the NBA and NFL. Uh, so I'm sure that'll be a great one. Uh, on Monday, we have an interview coming out with Kyle. Oh, I'm doing terrible. Who is it with? Shoot, this is I've got brain. I've got brain uh, Who do we just interview? Connor Sears. I'm butchering this. Sorry, guys. Uh, we had an interview with Connor Sears. Uh, Evan, why don't you give a quick rundown on Connor and his business? Uh, and then we'll, yeah. we'll wrap it up. So, here. Connor is uh, a UK grad. He went out to San Francisco after he graduated and worked in some of the biggest tech companies um, in the world Facebook, Twitter, uh, GitHub. Uh, and then was part of GitHub when it sold to Microsoft. And now starting his own company. He's backed by the greatest VCs in the world, A16Z, Andrew Sports, uh, being one of them. Uh, he left San Francisco to come back to Kentucky. Uh, he just wanted a different lifestyle, wanted a healthier lifestyle. Um, you can now build a business from anywhere. And so we are highlighting his story and why he came back to Kentucky and his opinions on the differences between San Francisco and Kentucky uh, when it relates to starting a company and just being in the technology space in general. Yep. Great episode too. Um, so check that out on Monday. Other than that, thank you guys for joining. This was a great uh, discussion. Appreciate all you guys. We'll see you next week. See ya.